human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, I chat with tech career strategist Raj Subramayer. Raj is an international keynote speaker, coach, and author of the book Skyrocket Your Career. As a former self-proclaimed toxic leader, Raj reveals how he walked through the fire of his own life transformation, from being insecurity-driven to harnessing fear as a catalyst to drive him to the next level. We touch on self-experimentation, mindset changes, and helping people create lives they love. Raj says, the more vulnerable leaders are, the more their teams trust them. Leading with empathy doesn't mean you're weak. Please enjoy episode 32, Phoenix Rising with Raj Subramayer. Welcome listeners to the next episode of What's Betwixt Us, the podcast about empathy at work for zany.app. And today on the podcast, um, I have somebody who is a tech career strategist and coach, an international keynote speaker and writer, and the author of the book, Skyrocket Your Career. And he's also, so far at least, a really friendly guy from Chicago. So please welcome Raj Subramayer. Hey, thanks Meyer. for having me. Did Super I do Meyer. it wrong, Raj? Subramayer, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Don't worry, you're not the only person who didn't get my last name right the first time because it's kind of a, uh, a name which my wife and I kind of uh, coined. Mm-hmm. So yeah, beginning of this podcast, we were talking about it as well. So to cut a long story short, my original name was Raj Subramanian. It's like the John Smith of Southern part of India. Every mm-hmm. one in two people you see will have a Subramanian as the last name. Mm-hmm. But I'm a brown dude from South India. And then I married a white Caucasian woman uh, who is uh, half German, then Irish, and then uh, American. And her name is Wiesmeyer. And so I combined, we combined Subramanian with uh, Wiesmeyer and we have Subramayer. So we want to create our own legacy. So it's Raj Subramayer and she changed her last name as well. So that's why it's like a different name, but uh, you don't have to feel bad about mispronouncing my last name because we actually made it up to create our own legacy. In fact, talking about legacy, my company name Mm -hmm. is called Chai Latte Consulting because I'm brown. My wife is white. I have a mocha baby. So it's representation of who we are. But yeah, that's the quick summary of how I I got my last name. I love it. And I mean, I love origin stories like that. And I do want to apologize because my name, Lissa, spelled L-Y-S-S-A, everybody mispronounces it. So I'm actually really keen to get it right because I feel like that is the first, like when you meet somebody, that's like the first moment you have to show how interested you are in them as a person is like whether you put in the time or or if you care to pronounce their name right so that they feel heard you know so but I, I'm glad that you're forgiving I guess <laughs> <laughs> no worries because uh you know some people want to learn some people 
uh, you know, don't. So I, I don't judge it as long. As, so that's why I go by Raj. So right. just people call me Raj. It's much easier uh, that way. And that's as, especially you have a lot of uh, TV show characters named Raj. Mm -hmm. It's funny. There's a random information before we get into an actual <laughs> topic. So I take part in STEM programs, educating high school kids on tech technology and technical stuff. And there, I remember this was about five years ago. There was this uh, like second grade, third grade kids. They used to come and they asked me, uh, what's my name? I said, my name is Mr. Raj. Are you like the Raj Kutapali from the Big Bang Theory? I said, I could be, but the only difference is I can actually speak. <laughs> I can talk, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> and believe this or not, after we did the session with them, the next day, the the teacher called me back and then they made a, the students had made a whole collage of different things I said, with you know, like a mm. whole handy book for me as a, uh -huh. as a present. And then there it said, Raj brackets Kutarbali. So, but that's random information, but I'm just saying, so I've been through a lot of uh, interesting things uh, related to my name. Yeah, well, it's sort of, I guess, however you can connect with people, right? Like my last name is Mandel. So they're like, oh, any relation to Howie? And I'm like, no, I wish. Then I would be wealthy, <laughs> but no. <laughs> yeah. Something to grab onto. Well, I'm so happy to have you here, Raj. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested in anybody who has gone down the route of being a coach, who's like interested in helping other people to figure out their career, to figure out what resonates with them. I feel like that's a calling that comes from something deeper. And I'm curious what inspired you to help people in that way? Like how is it something in childhood? Was it something you learned earlier in your career? That's a great question. Isn't it funny that a lot of businesses we see, a lot of entrepreneurs had some kind of event which happened in their life, which triggered their whole journey. I yeah. find it really interesting because you read it from motivational books. You, you uh, learn it from talking to other entrepreneurs, but that is so true. And it's the same thing for me as well. So just to take a step back, I think everything started from my childhood. So I grew up in the Southern part of India from a place called Chennai. It's one of the five bigger cities in India for people who do not know. Uh, and you have Bangalore, Kolkata, you have Mumbai, uh, you have Delhi, and then you have Chennai. And they, that, that gives the runs economy of India. Anywho, so my dad uh, was super smart since he was born. Like he studied in scholarships, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have my brother. He's a super genius. He's three, he has three masters and a PhD. Wow. And, and then there I was the average kid who didn't do well in anything. Academic, <laughs> sports, dating, you name it. I was pretty average. Oh. And a lot of your viewers or listeners who are South Asian may relate to this because in where I come from, academics is pushed quite a bit. Yeah. And you, you pretty much get three choices, doctor, lawyer, or engineer. And they right. choose the engineer path. And that's a true story. I've been in tech all my life. <laughs> and since a young age, I was in this atmosphere where I was constantly being compared to other people around me, other overachievers around me. Mm -hmm. And I put pressure on myself to excel like other folks who were excelling in academics. But the problem was every time I tried to do that, I ended up getting disappointed because I could never live up to people's expectations. Mm. And this kind of continued throughout my childhood and trying again and again to 
map to people's expectations led me into this really bad path of uh, anxiety, depression, fear of uh, rejection, fear of being judged. I shut myself down like I was in a bubble. I became really introverted. And also where I come from, when you ask questions about things you don't know, you get reprimanded for it. You have to follow the status quo. Wow. And, and if you ask questions, you get reprimanded for it. Wow. So all these things kind of uh, made me who I was all throughout my childhood. Then during my second year, my undergrad, I had this trigger event. I came to this realization that all this while I was living a life for other people. I was letting other people's opinions be my reality. Yeah. And I, I already wasted 20 years of my life living that way. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? I'm tired of such a life. Screw this. I'm going to make a change. And then I came, I realized that I matter. I'm good enough. I have my own skill sets and I'm going to carve my own identity. And that's when the whole transformational process started. Mm-hmm. And fast forward, fast forwarding 20 years from that moment when I had this epiphany, I'd made a commitment to myself. First thing is establish myself in tech and make people notice me. That was the first thing because I constantly was being ignored throughout my childhood. But through that journey, I realized that fame and money was just one part of it. But then offering and impacting people and adding value was the other aspect of it. And I realized that the hard way, because I think I was telling you I was a toxic leader before, and then I had to make the transformation. We'll get into that in a bit. But the point is, I made a commitment to myself to help people who were like me or who are like previous Raj, where the society has shunned them, like labeled them as not good enough. But I didn't come into the picture and let them know you have the skill sets and you can make a change. And that's why I do what I do. So I'm a tech career strategist. So I help people specifically in the tech space find their dream job and become successful leaders in the industry. And most of my clients are people who were the old Raj, and uh, I, I helped to kickstart the transformational process. So that's that's why I do what I do today. In fact, I led three years ago. I left my really really high paying tech job <laughs> to do what I'm doing today, where I'm earning decent money, but joy I get by impacting people it, it's just unbelievable. Every day when I wake up in the morning, I know that okay. I'm going to impact someone's life. And I didn't get that before when I was having a full-time job for our tech startup companies and other companies I work for. But yeah, that's the long story for your short question, just to set some context here. <laughs> I love it. I, I mean, I love long stories for short questions. That's the whole, that's the whole reason I do this podcast. Cause I love hearing, you know, the process that people go through, especially transformation like yours is super interesting to me. And I feel like people can only get to a place where they can help others when they've been through the quicksand themselves, you know, and you had to, I mean, I'm sorry that you had to go through that period, you know, with the anxiety and the depression, which is something I understand very well. But then on the other side of it, you have all these resources to help other people who, yeah, are like you, the way you used to be. And I mean, that's magic. That's your magic. And I'm so glad that you were inspired to do that rather than continue to let other people's expectations press down on you. Because I feel like that is we don't even realize that that is built into our subconscious and especially to come from a culture that you came from where there was that extra pressure. I mean, you, you use that pressure as fuel 
to like rocket yourself out to what you're supposed to do. Exactly. You mentioned, you like hit on a really good point. I think people view fear as a negative thing. Mm -hmm. I think you need fear to drive you. If you don't have fear, then you wouldn't do stuff. Mm -hmm. So you need fear to help you get to the next level. And that's what I did. When the trigger event actually happened, I took a paper and pen and I listed down all the fears I had. I had fear of being judged, fear of public speaking, fear of being ignored, fear of fear itself, fear of the unknown. So I had all these fears and I'm not making this up. This literally this is what I did. I wrote down all my fears. And then for each of the fears I had, I started coming up with a strategy, a possible strategy of how I can tackle those fears. And then I started attacking them one by one. For example, now I'm speaking with you and I've spoken at over 100 plus conferences. I do keynotes. I speak in front of thousands of people. I'm going to do two TED Talks this year as well. People come to me when after I give a talk, they say, how are you so inspirational, funny? How can I become like you? I would say it takes 20 years of practice to become like you because people do not know the journey. And right. tying that to the fears. So one of the fears for me was the fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. And till 2011, this haunted me every two days. Like I used to feel nervous when I talked to a group of people or when I stand up in meetings and talk, I used to feel really nervous and I hated that feeling. Mm -hmm. And one day I saw this email which said, hey, a software conference happening in Seattle. And at that time I was in Cleveland and you should come and join us, right? The usual emails and we deleted a spam. But this time there was some different emotion when I, a different emotion triggered within myself when I saw this email, because here I was who always wanted to overcome his fears. And I've never, I I hadn't taken any step towards the public speaking part. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go to this conference because I want to see what a conference looks like. And at that time I was pretty much broke. This was 2011. So I swiped my credit card for $3,000 and I paid my own money to go to a software conference. And the soft, and software folks who are listening to this podcast, you know better. You don't put your own money to go to a conference. You either make your company pay for the conference or you go to a conference as a speaker. But I didn't, didn't do either of it, right? So I put my own money. And to cut a long story short, there I started seeing all these speakers giving talks. And I had this epiphany moment uh, thinking, you know what? what better way than actually becoming a speaker to get rid of the fear of public speaking. Wow. So, so I started networking with all these speakers there, taking copious amount of notes in terms of how they prepare, how to write a proposal. Then I come back in, from the conference. In 2012, I start speaking in small, small meetup groups to gain that confidence. Mm-hmm. Then in 2013, after seven months and 23 trial runs, I gave my first conference talk, which was a huge hit. And fast forwarding down the line to 2021, I've spoken at 100 plus conferences. The reason I'm saying all these things is if people want to change, they have to over not overcome their fears, at least face their fears. Let it drive you. And fears is a good thing. And as you said, you need to use it as a fuel for growth. And that's how you see great things. That's how you see opportunities. Just uh, people mistake fear for imposter syndrome. So I think they're slightly different there because 
people are always going to have imposter syndrome when they try something new because they have the fear of the unknowns and right. they feel they're not good enough. But once you master that, then you have another thing which comes up into picture and uh, you still, then you have the imposter syndrome. But the right. fear, I think, is a common thing which people are going to go through. But think of it as a positive uh, from a positive frame of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I ha- I I have the same I have the same sort of background like relationship with fear. Like first of all to cr- to foster a relationship with your fear to you know to thank it because it's just trying to protect you. You know, I come from an improv background, which I'm sure you know about cuz you're in Chicago, and the improv theater that I came up at, the People's Improv Theater in New York, follow the fear was like painted on the walls of the theater, you know, that if you have, the body doesn't know the difference, like the nervous system doesn't know the difference between fear and excitement. It's the same reactions happening in your body. So if you can just like make that little switch, you know, if you can actually use it to your benefit, you know, as long as the fear doesn't become paralyzing, in which case there's something else at work. But I, I think that's awesome. And I, I, it's so admirable. And I, couldn't agree with you more. And, and that's, uh, yeah. And I just think it's amazing that you do so much, that you speak in front of so many people and you've actually overcome that. Like that in itself is a good TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I, in fact, I, I still remember this incident, right? Um, this was my eighth grade and I had this crush on this girl, pretty girl. And it took me four weeks to just say hi to her because whenever she passed me, you know, I would want to talk to her, then I'll start sweating. And then I used to stutter when I get really nervous. Mm-hmm. So I was that type of person. And now I'm this type of person and it takes a lot of effort. And it all starts with a mindset to change and believing in yourself. And as you were saying, using fear to drive you. So those are some three key things to keep in mind for anyone who wants to do any change or transformation within themselves. And do, did you have any, because you, you speak like, like a self-help person, right? Like I've, I've consumed a, so much self-help literature and it has helped me. So I wonder if you had any resources specifically, whether they're books or podcasts or mentors or other people who helped you change your mindset, or if it just all came from within you. Yeah. So I'm not like a, a Tolle, all of a sudden who became enlightened. I'm not that type of person. But uh, to answer your question, there was a mixture of everything. Mm-hmm. So in 2016, so I'm a person who experiments with himself quite a bit. I'm an extreme character in, in, in that regard. So uh-huh. in 2016, I did an experiment within myself because I felt that I'd hit a, hit a ceiling. And I felt my work was not giving me happiness. And I was uh, in this mode of, what's my purpose? What's the meaning in life? I went into that kind of, uh, you know, mindset. So for four months, I took a break from TV and everything which I, which I was doing. And in four months, I listened to 150 podcasts. And then I read 30 books. And oh my gosh. That was one of the pivotal moments in my life, yeah. which got me into this whole mindfulness, mindfulness space seeing other people going through a lot of uh, obstacles and overcoming them, the strategies and leadership and mindset. I learned a lot. I think that was the key moment which triggered my whole uh, learning journey. And since then, books have been my best friend. So as you can see over here, you have a lot of books and I read about 25 to 30 books every year. And over the period of time, 
through my leadership journey, through my entrepreneurial journey, I've hired coaches, I've had mentors. So it's been a mixture of all these things which you just mentioned, mm-hmm. because you never know where, when, where you'll meet an awesome person you can trust. So I kept my mind really open in yeah. learning and listening. And then I identified these key people who could help me. So I've had a business coach, a speaking coach, a writing coach. And then I was just mentioning, I'm going to give a TED talk I, before even doing that. Last year, I took a six-month intensive TED coaching program, oh, wow. <laughs> which was pretty intense. And so I make use of all the resources which are available to everyone. It's not, I didn't do anything special. It's just about you putting in the effort to figure out what you really want, where you want to go. And then based on that, you can seek people, seek resources, seek courses. Uh, and that's how, yeah, those are the things which actually really, really helped me. And also... One key thing to note here is you need a support of your significant other mm-hmm. or friend or whoever that may be. So I'm in a relationship, like I'm married, right? So the point is uh, I have a lot of support from my wife to do what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really key. So if you're dating someone or you know, you're having problems in your entrepreneurial journey, you should have that open communication with your significant other saying, hey, this is what I want to do in life. This is the impact I can think I can make. Could you support me? And you can make strategic decisions. People think entrepreneurial journey means everything is risk. And then it's like you get you become a millionaire or you end up bankrupt. And I that's not true. You can still make calculated yeah. decisions and risks. Because when I was having my full-time job, I started putting some money in a separate account to fuel my entrepreneurial journey as well. So I took a hybrid approach. And then once I got established with my entrepreneurial journey, and then I just went full-time into my business. So when this is to this is for people who are thinking about their entrepreneurial journey, I would definitely say that you could start with a hybrid approach. You don't have to just leave your job and without any focus right. or vision. Instead, right. experiment with different things while holding your full-time job. And then once you find something which you're passionate about, then fi- figure out, okay, how to make this a full-time business, monetize it while also providing impact. And that's what I did. But yeah, that's the, so I have had a lot of inspirations throughout my life. And also inspirational quotes are, I'm a sucker for inspirational quotes, if you see oh, yeah. over here. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. So he's, so for the listeners, he's, he's showing a bulletin board that is covered in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> So everywhere throughout my house, you'll find inspirational quotes. In fact, the t-shirt I'm wearing is inspirational quotes. So when it comes to motivation, there are two types of motivation. And this applies to leadership, entrepreneurial folks, whatever job you're doing. You have intrinsic motivation and you have extrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. Intrinsic motivation is what within you motivates you to do things. And that could be various things, your vision, your, how you think you can add value to the society, mm-hmm. all those things, you can write it down and look at it to trigger that intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. Then you have extrinsic motivation, which are the things I, we are talking about, which is the books, the mentoring, the coaching, and then these inspirational quotes, all these things remind me of what my purpose is and right. helps to also in a good filtering system. So when I get opportunities, I try to see whether it aligns with my vision. It helped me remind me to, you know, stay focused towards what I really want to do and not, you know, go like digress from 
what my purpose is and what I need to do for myself and the world. Yeah, that's a, that's an important balance, I think, to strike the intrinsic and the extrinsic. And I think that frequently in our in like the working society, right, in the capitalist society, extrinsic motivation is valued more than intrinsic motivation. And sometimes intrinsic motivation is actually squashed. So mm-hmm. I think this is a great way to seg into, you know, what you mentioned briefly before that you had told me before, which is that you used to be a toxic leader. And I would love to know, uh, it's just super rare to hear somebody even admit to something like that. But like, what was it? I would love for you to tell me about that. And what changed and like, what changed in your relationship to the people around you? So like, this is where empathy really comes into it. And I imagine a toxic leader doesn't value empathy as much. And you clearly are a person who does. So tell me about that journey. Sure. So this also goes back to my childhood experience. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up and when I entered the tech space in India, I saw a lot of things leaders were doing, which were questionable and which were affecting employees. Mm -hmm. And when you raise those concerns, you get squashed saying, you know what, there's a hierarchical structure and I am the manager. You do what I say. And after those repeated attempts for me to bring change as an individual contributor and failing, I realized that when you are in the position of authority, you can do a lot of things and people have to listen to you. Right. And that my childhood trauma of constantly being ignored and then now seeing this side of uh, leadership, I thought, man, I need to become a leader someday. And then I want to earn the fame, the credibility, And I want to make people do what I say. And that kind of was always in the back of my mind, even though I didn't realize it. And then in 2012, I started getting into leadership roles. So I started leading teams of five people, then 10 people. At one point, I was leading a team of 50 people. Wow. And unconsciously, what I was doing was I was looking out only for myself. Because I was always under this mentality that is someone else going to one-up me? Is someone going to take my position? Wow. I had insecurity. Insecurity is the biggest characteristic in a toxic leader because they feel insecure about themselves. They feel insecure about their atmosphere, the environment. And in 2012, once I started leading teams, I used to do things where I used to take credit for other people's work. Uh, I used to insert myself into conversations where I knew I'll have more opportunity to grow. I used to withhold information from people so that they don't, I can provide that information and get the credibility. And uh, I was uh, acting full in public and I was apologizing in private. Wow. And that's what was happening. And this continued throughout, actually, from 2012 till 2016 ish. And I was doing a lot of things which were detrimental to people's uh, growth. And I didn't realize it. I had become numb to those actions. But then an incident happened. And it's a personal incident which no one in the world still knows, which I'll be sharing in my TED Talk. It's about toxic leadership. And because of that incident, I was caught red-handed. And then I was forced to face the consequence, whether to change or continue living a lie and being a toxic leader. Mm -hmm. And that opened up a lot of things. And how this relates to the current environment. Currently, if you see, we are living in the middle of a pandemic. And according to American Psychology Association, seven in 10 adults 
say that the coronavirus pandemic has caused a significant source of stress in their lives. Yeah. And majority of these folks are in leadership roles and they're forced to be leaders at home, leaders at work, and they're stuck in between. And what's happening because of this is all these toxic traits which are within us gets amplified. Mm-hmm. Everyone has dormant insecurities within themselves, mm-hmm. but they get amplified when there's a state of stress, mm-hmm. like what we are living in right now. And the problem is not a lot of toxic leaders come out and admit that they are toxic leaders because of the cancel culture we live in. Mm-hmm. You never get a second shot. Right. Once, because of social media, once they figure out, okay, you're this type of person, that's it, you're screwed. Blacklist. Hard, yeah, it's hard for you to come out of it. And that's the reason in, in TED Talk, which I'll be giving this year, and uh, it'll be announced soon. But the point is, I want to share my story of what are the things toxic leaders go through? They're actually humans first. And then what happens is stress amplifies the toxic traits. And then once they're practicing those toxic traits for a long periods of time, they get numb towards it. And that's what happens, but they deal with a lot of emotions. They really want to come out of it, but no one is giving them an opportunity to do so. Luckily, my wife made me realize that and uh, made me face reality. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn it the hard way. And since then, after this experience, I've been coaching people, other leaders I coach in the tech space to come out of the closet accept their toxic and then make a positive change so that they will feel better about themselves and their team who depends on that particular leader will also feel empowered and they'll they know that okay we can trust this person so we talk about insecurity which is the biggest thing and another trait of toxic leaders is uh, vulnerability as men especially from my culture where i grew up in Men are not supposed to cry. You just suck it up and then you just do things. And because if you cry, then they'll say you're a woman. And that's the culture I grew up in. Right. And as and when I growing up, I started realizing that human emotions are emotions no matter what gender you relate of course. to. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, because of the stigma of society we grew up in, men are supposed to just suck it up and then hold their emotions. And that's what I was doing. I didn't want to show my vulnerability mm-hmm. and that was eating me up and it turned me into a different person. Mm-hmm. And right now, thanks to Brené Brown and other folks. Love who, Brené Brown. Yeah. Who openly talk about vulnerability and have been yep. educating people. Yep. Now men like me can be more vulnerable and there's research which shows that the more vulnerable the leaders are, the more trust they develop within the team and trust is one of the biggest factors to build high performing teams. And once I came to all this realization, since 2015, I've been one of the best leaders in every team I was a leader at. And uh, I won numerous awards and accolades, but it was I didn't make the change for the credibility aspect. I made a change for myself because I knew that I couldn't sustain if I keep going in this toxic way. And also want to make people realize that everyone has toxic traits with them in, within themselves. It just gets amplified at the state of, when you're in a state of stress. But you can talk about it. You can get help, and that's what I'm. I do right now as part of it, as part of being in the tech space, coaching other leaders who are dealing with their 
uh, vulnerabilities, their insecurities, and then I share my story to tell them that they're human, it's okay, yeah. and you can still come out of it. You don't have to be stuck in, you know, stuck in the closet, being a toxic leader, you can come out of it. So that's what I've been preaching to people using me as an example. Yeah, I mean, that's the most powerful example you can do, right? If you were show your vulnerability first, and you're vulnerable and also very successful and also happy. Well, I mean, I'm just projecting that you seem to be a relatively content person with your life or grounded in yourself. So I wonder if you could just give like a tiny sneak peek into like when you are, when you are coaching a leader, like what are some strategies that you use to get them to tap into that? Or, and like, do you get resistance from them? Like when you say to them, Hey, actually the key to being a better leader is to be like softer and more empathetic. Do you get pushback or do they mostly accept? Like, I'm, I'm really curious what's inside that conversation. Wow. That's, that's another great point because there's so many things to dissect from what you just asked, because <laughs> first thing is people mistake softness and empathy for assertiveness, right? Like there's so many differentiation here. So soft has different meaning based on it context doesn't, here. It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't, it mean, doesn't weakness. mean weakness, exactly. And they associate softness with empathy for some reason in a lot of places I've seen, I've worked in. Empathy is trying to feel what the other person is feeling, right. step into their shoes, and then think about, okay, wh why are they acting this way? If I was in their situation, what are the different things they may be going through? So start thinking from their standpoint, stepping into their shoes. It doesn't make you a weak leader. It makes you a more active leader to yes. help solve problems, to get build more trust with your team. So that's what people need to first realize. Empathy doesn't mean softness. And again, I hate, I don't like the word softness because it, it's open to so many different interpretations. Right. But let's just stick with the empathy point here. Leading with empathy doesn't mean that you're a weak leader. It's just that you are becoming a more effective leader and building trust within the team because you're stepping into another person's shoes. Coming back to, in terms of coaching, so how do people accept that they have some insecurities? How do they make the change? Are they resistant? Mm -hmm. Yes, people are resistant to change. That's what makes you human. But then it's you have to start making people realize how that resistance is actually detrimental to their personal growth and health, mental health as well. No one talks about mental health these days. It's a huge thing in the tech space. About 60% of the people in tech space have some sort of burnout at some point, at some level, and no one is taking action towards it, right? And just now we are, people are talking about it. And then I talk about my story, getting admitted in the ER because I actually burnt out. It's a whole different story, but the wow. point is, Mental health is one aspect as well. But again, coming back to the point. So at first I make them realize that, hey, these are the things you're doing. If you were doing, if someone was doing those things to you, how would you feel? So start making them think, number one. Number two would be sharing my story in terms of how different things I was doing affected so many different people. And change started once they started being open and vulnerable. And see where I am today. A lot, I'm re really well known in the community. I've been helping people. So I let them know that it's okay to be vulnerable and admit your mistakes. You learn from it. Let people know, move on. And you actually, based on research, 
you know that that's going to establish more trust. So you have to, that's the second thing. And the final point would be to let them know that they're not alone. Maybe there are other people like you in your environment as well. And because of that toxic environment, you are also, you know, having those toxic traits. So maybe there's a conversation you need to have with your colleagues as well saying, hey, in this work environment, we have cross-functional teams. And the way we are doing things is detrimental to everyone, including us and the team. So how do we go, go about making the change, having their open conversation? I, I think those are like three key strategies which I work on with people. And that's why it's also important, like clients who work with me, I anyways get to know their personal uh, relationship, but how their personal life is, because you'd be surprised how your personal life actually affects your work life, especially during the pandemic. I, I, I'm working with people who have gone through divorces, have had debts in the family. And because of that, they're really irritated when it, at work if someone says something, even something small, they immediately ignite because they have so many emotions within them. Absolutely. So the people I work with, I get really personal. I try to understand where they're coming from. What are their childhood traumas, right? And yes, I'm not a therapist, but the point is it still has a lot to do with how you lead team because- Oh yeah. Exactly me. I literally am a living example of that. Yes. So. And you'll be surprised how every a lot of leaders out there have similar kind of story as well. Yeah, I mean it's it's everything, and I and I I, I love that you mentioned. Yes, you're not a therapist, but I do feel like we are. I mean, obviously, I'm in a bubble of everybody on my LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook is talking about trauma and triggers and empathy and vulnerability and all of this. So I sort of forget that there's a world out there where people don't know about this, but huge uh, upsurge of coaches like you, right? Huge upsurge of people entering the mental health space, of people talking about mental health more openly. And I think that tech is one of the industries that's like, you know, one of the last holdouts, like tech and like finance, you know, are some of the industries where for some reason they're holding on real strong to this like, you know, empathy is weakness thing. Yep. So, I'm so glad that you exist and that you're doing what you're doing. And yeah, I just think it's going to grow. I just think it's going to grow. And gosh, I, you know, I could talk to you for another two hours, but I know that you have to go. So before you go, I ask every guest at the end of the show, um, one of the questions that comes out of the Zany app database, which is of course, like, you know, conversation starters to build trust among teams digitally. So they're, they're questions that, that pop out every week that have nothing to do with work or maybe adjacent just to get people talking to each other. So the question that I'm going to ask you, Raj, is do you most often lead with your head, your heart, or your gut? Head, heart, or you? So I have to choose one. It can be a mixture of both, right? I mean, it can. It's, it can be. It just <laughs> does one override the others. Do you feel perfectly balanced? How so you said head, heart, and what is the third one? Gut. Gut. I think it's a mixture of both, uh, head, heart, and gut. A mixture of all three for me. First, I start with strategy and data. I'm a facts guy, so I, I don't go into conversations with emotions. I try to get the data and facts. But then based on experience, I knew how the results were, so I go with my gut. And then <laughs> my heart will tell me, my conscience will tell me, this is not the right thing you want to do. And uh -huh. then, so then, so I would say it's a three funnel system. First is <laughs> data and facts. So that's the head. And then 
I filter it through my experience, right? So that's where my heart comes into picture and my gut comes into picture. So that's what, that would be my answer because I feel all three things are important if you want to make decisions, yes. but you want to first approach it with data and facts instead of going with emotions. I think that's the main difference there. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I feel like I am I am the opposite where just naturally I am an emotions person. Like my emotions give me information first and then my head jumps in to try to reason through it, you know? But this is why it's important that there are different kinds of people. So like if the two of us got together and collaborated on something, it would be a more it would be a well-rounded thing. I don't know, it would be interesting. It would be interesting cuz you'd be like stop being so emotional and I'd be like stop being so logical. <laughs> Oh no. So I never, I never disregard emotions, but there are certain times where you have to put away your emotions and then analyze the data. So for example, how many times, how many times have leaders or even any employee get, they get really uh, irritated about something and then immediately send an email, which they regret. Right. And they sent it because they were in a high emotional state. And then they said something really bad and it's documented in an email and you can never take it back. Right. I, for one, have, have done it so many times. That's why. So when I say first data and facts, that's the reason why I'm saying it, because one of the things you don't ever want to do is make decisions when you're angry. Right. I, and I've gotten burned so many times by doing that. Right, so right. that's what I mean. Approaching first with data facts and then having the emotions involved. So I think it's contextual basis. You cannot disregard emotions, but there are certain cases where you need to take a breath and then not act on something emotionally because you'll repent that decision. So instead you can always take a step back, you know, try to get release some steam, go for a run or however you release the steam and then come back, then analyze it with data and facts. And then you could add some emotions into it as well saying, Hey, I hear you. I know you bring value to the company. And I, I know you have proven record of doing these things. But here's why I'm not agreeing to what you're saying because of these reasons. So there's some emotions involved there, but you're also stating data and facts instead of just saying you suck. So right. that's the difference there. Right, right. And, and you just bring up like a really key point of mindfulness, right? Which is whenever anything happens to you to create a space between what happens and your reaction to put that breath in the space. So yeah, it's great. I. Raj, this has been amazing. And I'm so happy to talk to you and tell the people real quick where they can find you if they want to find you. Sure. So before I get into that, I just wanted to acknowledge you for bringing this podcast. And I love your other podcast as well. It's the funny one. (laughs) It's the Bitch Seat podcast. I love that as well. I want to acknowledge you for showing up and then bringing in guests who can give value to people, especially during these times when they really need people to talk about a lot of things which are not discussed that much. So I want to acknowledge you for that and really appreciate bringing me onto this podcast. So I want to say that first. Thank you. And to answer your question where people can connect with me. So all my life's work can be found on my website. It's rajsubra.com, R-A-J-S-U-B-R-A.com. And also I released a book called Skyrocket Your Career last December, which gets into leadership principles, which gets into how to find a job, how to be successful in a job, how to exponentially increase your salary, how to do salary uh, interviews. So uh, 
it was number five on the Amazon bestseller list. So definitely go check it out. So if you go to skyrocketyourcareerbook.com, again, skyrocketyourcareerbook.com, you can download the first chapter for free because I know that, you know, when you buy a book and then find that it's a really shitty book, I understand how <laughs> you'll feel. So I'm giving the first chapter for free so that you can make, decide. And also look at the reviews. My uh, my book has over 100 reviews on Amazon. Wow. So you can definitely go check it out. But yeah, and I'm also super, super active on LinkedIn. I literally live on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to connect with me, just ping me. I love to make friends and I love to uh, learn from other people as well. So that's how you can connect with me. Awesome. You're, you're, I feel like you're like a super powered just a super powered inspiration of a person. I'm so glad to know you. Thanks um, for having me again. I, as I was saying, I value what you do as well. And I'm glad that we connected and uh, I'm uh, here always. I'm always there here to support your work as well. Thank you. You're the best. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to episode 32 of What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. To learn about Coach Raj and how he can help you lead an aligned life, visit rajsubra.com. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at zanie.app. Human first, everything else after. Human first, everything else after.